Lesson 6 for August 2-8, to titled Growing in Christ. Sabbath afternoon, August 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these lessons that come that show us what Jesus actually taught. And as we look carefully this week into your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And in our daily living, help us to show the love that comes from you to those about us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's read that again. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus felt drawn to Christ, but dared not visit him openly. He greeted Jesus politely, acknowledging him as a teacher from God. The master knew that behind this courteous greeting was a seeker of truth. Therefore, wasting no time, he told Nicodemus that he did not need theoretical knowledge as much as he needed spiritual regeneration, a new birth. This concept was hard for Nicodemus to grasp. Because of his descent from Abraham, he was sure he had a place in God's kingdom. In addition, as a strict Pharisee, he surely deserved the favour of God, right? So, why did he need such a radical change? Patiently, Jesus explained that spiritual transformation is a supernatural work produced by the Holy Spirit. Though we cannot see or understand how it happens, we can perceive the results. We call it conversion, a new life in Christ. Though we should always remember how the Lord called us and converted us, our challenge is to steadfastly abide in Him daily so that He can transform us more and more into His image. Sunday, August 3, to be born again. A zealous Christian confronted a politician and asked her, Have you been born again? Angry at what she deemed a personal question, the politician replied, It worked the first time, thank you. Maybe it did, but considering our fallen nature, our first birth isn't enough, at least not for eternal life. For that, we must be born again. Question. Read Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. How did Jesus explain what it meant to be born again? Well, let's begin at verse 1. After dark one night, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus, a member of the sect of the Pharisees, came for an interview with Jesus. Sir, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us, your miracles are proof enough of this. Jesus replied, With all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this. Unless you are born again, you can never get into the kingdom of God. Born again? exclaimed Nicodemus. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, 
What I am telling you so earnestly is this. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Men can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it will go next, so it is with the Spirit. We do not know on whom he will next bestow this life from heaven. What do you mean? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You, a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I am telling you what I know and have seen, and yet you won't believe me. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about such things as these that happen here among men, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what is going on in heaven? For only I, the Messiah, have come to earth and will return to heaven again. And, as Moses in the wilderness lifted up the bronze image of a serpent on a pole, even so I must be lifted up upon a pole, so that anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. No doubt Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, knew the Old Testament scriptures which speak about the need for a new heart and God's willingness to create it in us. Psalm 51 verse 10 Create in me a new clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. And Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 And I will give you a new heart, I will give you new and right desires, and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love. Jesus explained to Nicodemus this truth and how it can happen. The dialogue recorded by John ends with Jesus' words. No answer from Nicodemus. He probably went home immersed in profound reflections. Quietly, the Holy Spirit worked in him, and three years later, he was ready to openly become Jesus' disciple. The fact that it is necessary to be born again shows without a doubt that our previous birth is insufficient from a spiritual standpoint. The new birth must be a double one, of water and of the Spirit. In light of John the Baptist's ministry, Nicodemus easily understood that to be born of water referred to baptism with water. What he also needed to know was that to be born of the Spirit is the renewing of the heart by the Holy Spirit. There are similarities between physical and spiritual births. Both mark the beginning of a new life, also, we produce neither birth ourselves, it's done for us. But there is also an important difference between them. We were unable to choose if we wanted to be born physically. We can, however, choose to be born spiritually. Only those who freely decide to allow the Holy Spirit to generate a new spiritual self within them are born again. God respects our freedom and although eager to transform us, he does not change us by force. So to finish today, think about the way in which the Lord produced your conversion. It does not matter if it was through dramatic circumstances or through a long and imperceptible process of transformation. How have you experienced the new birth?
Monday, August 4, The New Life in Christ Being born again is possible only through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus made use of the fact that the Greek word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, means both spirit and wind in order to illustrate the process of conversion. In John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. The wind blows. None of us can start it, direct it, nor stop it. Its great power is beyond human control. We can only react to it, either resisting it or using its potential for our benefit. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is constantly working upon the heart of every human being, drawing him or her to Christ. No one has control over its great saving and transforming power. We can resist it or yield to it. When we surrender ourselves to his convicting influence, the Holy Spirit produces a new life in us. Is there any way to know if we have experienced the new birth? Yes. The Spirit works invisibly, but the results of his activity are visible. Those around us will know that Jesus created a new heart in us. The Spirit always produces an outward demonstration of the inward transformation he makes in us. As Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, By their fruits you will know them. The new life in Christ is not a patched-up life with a few external reformations. It is not a modification or improvement of the old life, but a complete transformation. Question. What do the following texts tell us about what the new birth will accomplish in us? First of all, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life and second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if any one is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, behold all things have become new. And Galatians chapter six verse fifteen. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ implants in us new thoughts, feelings, and motives. He awakens our conscience, changes our mind, subdues every unholy desire, and fills it with the sweet peace of heaven. Though the change doesn't happen instantly, over time we do become a new creature in Christ. We have to, because the original version, the one that came out of the womb, isn't right with God. So, to finish today... Meditate on your life during the last 24 hours. To what degree did those who relate with you perceive Christ in your words, attitudes and actions? Pray about those traits of character that still need to be modelled by the Holy Spirit.
Tuesday, August 5, Abiding in Christ A flourishing spiritual life is possible only by constantly depending on Christ. Jesus used the illustration of the vine to teach us how to accomplish this. I am the vine, you are the branches, said Jesus in John 15, verse 5. In the Old Testament, Israel was depicted as a vine that the Lord had planted. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Now let us sing to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And Psalm 80, verses 8 to 9. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and to fill the land. And Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? But Jesus presents himself as the true vine in John 15 verse 1 and urges his followers to be united with him just as the branches abide in the vine. Question. What do these texts teach us about abiding continually in Christ? Let's have a look at John chapter 15 and verses 4 to 10. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in in his love. A branch recently separated from the vine may appear alive for a while, but it will surely wither and die because it has been cut off from the source of life. By the same token, 
We can receive life only through our connection with Christ. But in order to be effective, this union must be maintained. Devotional time in the morning is essential, but our communion with the Lord has to continue throughout the day. Abiding in Christ means seeking Him constantly, asking for His guidance, praying for His strength to obey His will, and begging for His love to fill us. One of the most deceitful traps is to try to live the Christian life independently from the Lord. For as He says in John 15:5, Without me you can do nothing. Without Him... We cannot resist even one temptation, overcome one sin, or develop a character in his likeness. The new spiritual life can grow only by means of an uninterrupted communion with Christ. By reading the Word and meditating on it, we are nourished and strengthened. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life, said Jesus in John 6.63. Treasured in our hearts and minds, these words will inspire our prayers in order to keep us in contact with the Lord. Though it's easy to be distracted by the cares of this world, as it says in Mark 4.19, we must make a concentrated effort to abide in Jesus. And so to finish today, what are the greatest obstacles that prevent you from abiding constantly in Christ? What steps can you take in order to remove or overcome them. Wednesday, August 6, Prayer Along with studying the Bible... Prayer is indispensable in order for us to abide in Christ and grow spiritually. Even Jesus himself needed prayer to be united with the Father. He left us an example of a life of prayer. Prayer marked the crucial moments of his life. He prayed when he was baptized. He often prayed in solitary places before daylight or on the mountain after sunset. Sometimes he spent the entire night praying, such as when he chose the twelve apostles. He prayed to resurrect Lazarus. Not even the cross deterred him from praying. If, as it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him, why do we need to present him our needs in prayer? Because through prayer... We learn to empty ourselves of ourselves and become more dependent upon Him. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you is Jesus' promise in Matthew 7.7. Although we do not need to impress Him by endless prayers of vain repetitions, as He mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, we need to persevere in prayer clinging to his promises no matter what. John 15 verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And John 16 verse 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Question. How can the different parts of the Lord's Prayer help us to grow in Christ? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. 
In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus is our mediator in heaven. Therefore, he instructed us to address our prayers to the Father in his name. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, John 16.23. Christ taught that there are certain conditions in order for this wonderful promise to be fulfilled. We need to believe that God can answer us. Matthew 21, verse 22, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. An attitude of forgiveness toward our neighbor is required. Mark 11:25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Most important, our will should always be subordinated to the Father's will, as it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And any delay in the answer should not discourage us. On the contrary, we need to always pray and not give up, as we read in Luke 18.1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So to finish the day, Lord, teach us to pray, as in Luke 11.1, is always a relevant request, no matter how long ago we accepted Christ as our Saviour. In what aspect of your prayer life do you still need to grow by the grace of God? Thursday, August 7. Die to self every day. Paradoxically, it's only by dying that we may truly live. When baptized, we ideally died to our old nature and rose again to a new life. It would have been wonderful if the old man of sin had permanently died when we were buried under baptismal waters. Sooner or later, however, all of us have discovered that our past habits and tendencies are still alive and do strive to regain control of our lives. After our baptism, our old nature has to be put to death again and again. That is why Jesus associated the Christian life with a cross. Question. What does Luke chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 mean? Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Many think the cross they have to bear is a serious sickness, unfavourable circumstances in life, or a permanent disability. 
While any of these surely is heavy, the meaning of Jesus' words goes further. To take up our cross means to deny ourselves daily. Not just once in a while, but every day. Not just a part of us, but our entire being. The Christian life is a cruciform life. As Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the ancient world, the victims of crucifixion did not die immediately. Usually they agonized for many hours, sometimes several days, while hanging on the cross. Similarly, our old nature, although crucified, fights to survive and get down from the cross. It is not easy to deny ourselves. Our old nature lingers on. Our old man doesn't want to die. Moreover, we cannot nail ourselves to the cross. No man can empty himself of self. Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lessons, page 159 and 160. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mould me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere, where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. It is not only at the beginning of the Christian life that this renunciation of self is to be made. At every advanced step heavenward, it is to be renewed. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. End of quote. There must be daily surrendering to the Lord. So to finish today, when was the last time you died to self? What does your answer say to you, especially in light of today's texts? Friday, August 8. From the book Steps to Christ, page 43, we read, The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God, requires a struggle. But the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. And from In Heavenly Places, page 155, by Ellen White, we read, We cannot retain our own self and be filled with the fullness of God. We must be emptied of self. If heaven is gained by us at last, it will be only through the renunciation of self and in receiving the mind, the spirit, and the will of Christ Jesus. And from the Desire of Ages, page 173. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Sinful thoughts are put away, evil deeds are renounced, love, humility and peace take the place of anger, envy and strife. Joy takes the place of sadness, and the countenance reflects the light of heaven. The blessing comes when, by faith, the soul surrenders itself to God, then that power which no human eye can see creates a new being in the image of God. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Number one, what is your own experience with what it means to abide in Christ? 
What happens when you connect with Jesus? What happens when you don't? 2. Who hasn't struggled with the issue of prayers that are not answered, at least as we have prayed them? How do you maintain faith in God and in His promises in the face of requests that have not been answered as you wanted? What crucial things must we always keep in mind in such situations? And 3. What is it about self, about the very nature of self, that we are called to deny it daily? Look at it this way. If you didn't deny yourself, if you allowed self to dominate all that you thought or did, what kind of life would you live? Would it in any way resemble that of our Master? What does your answer tell you about yourself apart from Christ? Inside Story Our mission story this week comes from Peru. It's titled Faithful Ronaldo. Ronaldo and his parents live in a town on the beach in northern Peru. When he was eight years old, his mother lost her job. The family faced difficult financial times. Ronaldo's younger brother was sick and his mother had to stay home with him. So Ronaldo walked the few blocks to church alone. He prayed that God would help his family be able to attend church together again. Then a Seventh-day Adventist couple moved into a home on the beach near Ronaldo's home. They learned that Ronaldo's mother was a cook and invited her to open a restaurant on the porch of their home. You can even rent part of our house, the couple said. That way you'll be close to your work and your children. The family moved into the couple's home and his mother's restaurant has become well known among tourists visiting the beach. Father completed his studies and found a better job. At last, Ronaldo and his family could attend worship together in the little Adventist church in town. The Adventist couple invited Ronaldo to study the Bible with them and he accepted. Ronaldo invited some of his classmates to study the Bible with him. But when Ronaldo asked his Adventist friends to study with his classmates, they urged him to have his own small group. We'll help you, they encouraged. Ronaldo began studying with his friends. More children came and the group grew. When the studies ended, Ronaldo and Sandra, one of his classmates, were baptised together. Sandra invited Ronaldo to start a small group in her house. Soon another small group had formed. Sandra's father was not a Christian, but he had seen the changes in Sandra's life. He listened to the children's small group discussions, and in time, he accepted Jesus as his saviour. Sandra's parents began worshipping in the little Adventist church too. Her parents invited some of their friends to the children's small group, and soon it had more adults than children. A woman in the church offered to lead the adults in their own group. Today, 15 to 18 people attend the adult small group every week. Ronaldo and Sandra's small group has moved to the church where 25 or more children, many from the neighbourhood, attend every week. Ronaldo helps lead the group, though he is one of the youngest there. He tells them, Remember when I invited you to the small group? Now it's your turn to invite your friends to come. And because of this, the group has grown. In 2012, part of the 13th Sabbath offering helped provide teaching materials for children who lead small groups in Peru. 
Thank you for making it possible to share God's love with others through this successful program in Peru and throughout South America. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.